Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. As I mentioned before, we're wrapping up a sermon series today called Who's in Charge? And we've been talking about competing desires and competing traits and competing kind of character items that are often in conflict within ourselves. And we've been kind of talking about this because the choices that we make are what shape who we become and what we'll achieve. You know, every one of us, one of the themes we've been exploring through this series is that no matter what the situation is, we are in control of our own actions. We're in control of our responses and how we handle the situations we're in. We don't control what other people do. We don't control sometimes the situations we get thrust into, but we control how we act and how we respond when we're in that. And so the choices that we make matter because the choices we make determine which character traits we grow in and which character traits are the ones that we leave behind that we don't want to hold on to. And so through this series, we've talked about a couple different topics. The first week that Pastor Vicki led us in was choosing gratitude over entitlement because gratitude and entitlement can't exist at the same time in our hearts. It's one or the other. And so by choosing gratitude, we can actually do away with entitlement. And then the week after that, we talked about how do we manage our emotional response when we're in a difficult situation? How do we learn to recognize and and manage and choose what our emotional response will be instead of becoming just a slave to whatever we feel in the moment in a stressful situation? And last week, we talked, kind of like the song we just sang, we talked about how do we choose trust and asking God for what he has for us? How do we choose trust instead of going to a place of worry and fear. And we kind of talked about that together. And so today we're talking about one of these character traits that every one of us has, but let's be honest, it's one that none of us really like to admit that we have, which is one of the reasons why we talk about it. And if you uh, are are checking this place out for the first time, or maybe you got dragged along by a friend, you you may not know what you think about church or what you think about why you're here, but this is a trait that you can recognize and all of us will see is actually just part of being human that we need to deal with. It's part of just being a person, whether you know Jesus or or believe in God or not, this is still a human issue that we have to deal with. And that issue is selfishness. Every one of us has a part of ourselves that wants to always put me first. And the thing about selfishness is oftentimes we recognize it in other people more than we can recognize it in ourselves. Isn't that true? I mean, now if you're sitting beside your spouse, don't elbow them right now. Don't elbow them and be like, yeah, you know, last week when you took that last piece of pie that I was saving in the fridge, you know, that was self. Don't, don't do that because here's what's going to happen. If you think you're, this is going to be your drive home conversation, you're going to bring up the time your spouse was selfish. Guess what they're going to bring up? What are they going to say? Yeah. How about this list of the times you were selfish? See, it doesn't work when we just point it out at each other and say, you're selfish. You know why? Because all of us are selfish. And if you, if you don't heed my advice and you go ahead and you bring up that last piece of pie that you were saving in the fridge or or whatever it might be, just be prepared. They're going to shoot back at you with something that's going to happen. We're people. That's going to happen. See, selfishness though, oftentimes we try to deal with it behaviorally. We try to act less selfish. We try to change our habits and, and change our mindset. But the problem with selfishness is that that's treating things symptomatically. It doesn't actually get to the root issue. 
See, there's a deeper root underneath our selfishness. There's a deeper kind of feeling, emotion, character trait that we all have. And unless we learn to deal with that piece, all our attempts to deal with selfishness will fail. They won't, you know, they might make improvements and that's good. That's a step. But you won't have victory over selfishness unless you deal with what's underneath it. And what's underneath selfishness? We can only defeat selfishness when we destroy the root of greed that's inside of us. See, that selfish me-first mentality always comes from a place of greed, which is about how do we amass and help and have more for ourselves. And none of us want to admit, I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone wants to be like, I'm greedy. You know, I have that piece of greed inside. No one wants to admit that. And I'm not going to ask you to. I'm not going to ask you to stick up your hands or anything like that. But I think we can agree that greed is something that all of us wrestle with. If not on a daily basis, at least on a weekly basis. Sometimes it comes out as like of feeling envious of, you know, you pull up at a stoplight in your, you know, older vehicle and, you know, a brand new, you know, F-150 truck. And maybe you've always wanted a truck. Pulls up beside you. You look over and you think, oh, it'd be nice to drive that. See, that's envy, that's greed, that's a little piece of it coming forward and saying, what do you want? And sometimes we even can go back to where we started this sermon series, and we can come back to our greed can push us towards entitlement and say, you know, I deserve that new vehicle, or I deserve that whatever it is. You can fill in the blank with what that desire is for you. But this piece of greed, wanting more for ourselves, is something we all have to deal with. And Surprise, surprise, it's something that Jesus talked about kind of often. So today what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at a couple parables. We're going to be looking at stories that Jesus told to illustrate a point, to talk about greed. And the first one we're going to start with comes from Luke 12. And Jesus, this is kind of not quite halfway through his ministry. It's still kind of towards the, the first half, but almost reaching the halfway point through his ministry. When Jesus has these crowds that are following him, and he's gained a reputation as this teacher that is teaching in ways that the religious leaders just don't get. Like, he's teaching with authority, he's teaching, and he's saying things that are making people scratch their heads and say, you know what, I think he's right. And so large crowds are following Jesus, and and what was typical in that day is is someone like Jesus, who's a, a teacher of the rabbinical law, they would get asked to kind of render judgments on situations. And so Jesus is, is traveling, he's, he's been teaching, and someone calls from the crowd and says, Teacher, you know, he's, he's addressing Jesus with a, with a word of respect. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So I got to give some background on this. Under Jewish law, especially in the first century, there was this rule about inheritances. And so the fact that the, the person asking this question says, tell my brother to divide my father's estate, that means the father has died, probably recently. And this is not the oldest brother, because the oldest brother under kind of inheritance laws and first century Judaism, the first brother, or the oldest son, was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. And we might think that seems a little unfair. So if there's two brothers, the oldest one would get two-thirds, and the younger one would get one-third. And we say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, the reason for it was, is the oldest son 
with that double portion inheritance, was required to take on the affairs and any remaining responsibilities of the father. So if the mother was still alive, it's the oldest son's responsibility to care for his mother if the father has passed away. Or if there are sisters, it is the oldest son's responsibility to help that sister get married, to find a spouse. Now, that's not how we operate today, and we look at this and we think, well, that's a patriarchal old way of doing things. And that's true, it is. But this is the world that Jesus was in. This first century, it was a patriarchal society. It's not who we are now, but it's a piece that's there. So this guy asks Jesus, obviously he's one of the younger siblings, and he says, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. That means he says, my brother doesn't deserve the double portion. So let's just say there's two of them. This is the younger brother saying, I'm not happy with one third. I want half. Or if there was three brothers, and this was one of the younger two, I don't want my, the oldest brother to get half of my father's estate and me to only get a quarter. I want, I want this split evenly. That's what he's asking Jesus to deal with. So Jesus gets asked this question, and so he responds to it. And this is what he says, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that. Jesus is saying, well, what authority do I have to tell you and your brother what to do? He's kind of saying, it's not actually my responsibility to make this decision for you. But then Jesus says this. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. See, he gets to the core of what's going on underneath this situation. This younger sibling has a root of greed, and that's why he's asking for his father's estate to be divided. And so instead of Jesus weighing in on the situation, he goes one level deeper. He addresses the heart issue behind the question. He says, beware of greed. Life's not measured by how much you own. And then in typical Jesus fashion, he tells a story. Instead of just giving the answer and saying, here's what you got to do, Jesus had this habit of constantly telling stories and making up stories. And the reason for this is he wants us to put ourselves in the story and say, what if I was that person in the story and I acted that way? What does that mean for me? This was a, a common way that Jesus often taught. And so we'll carry on and we'll go to verse 16. Then Jesus told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Good problem to have, right? You know, I've got plenty. I I can't store it all in my bins. What am I going to do about this? And he comes up with an idea. He says, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room to store all my wheat and other goods. You know, that makes sense. I I need more grain storage. I need more storage for my wealth I've amassed. I'll build it up. Then the man says, and then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You have plenty to start with. You have a great bumper year. You've got tons of crops. You build bigger barns. You store it all, and you realize, wait a second, I can retire. My purpose in life now is to eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds kind of like a good existence, doesn't it? And then God says this to the rich man. This is Jesus says in the story. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? And that's the end of the parable. And then Jesus adds this commentary. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. 
And so Jesus tells this story, and then now immediately everyone's going to be kind of looking at this going, uh, what? What are, you, what are you getting at here, Jesus? Like, wh- what are we supposed to learn from this? Now, whenever Jesus tells a parable, there's a specific reason underneath it. And we have to be careful we don't stretch parables beyond their intention because sometimes we could try to put words in Jesus' mouth that don't belong there. But I want to do something because Jesus didn't speak in English. He spoke in Greek. And so all of our Bibles are, in a, uh, are a moving from the Greek and the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Greek of the New Testament, and moving them into English so that we can understand them today. And so I want to make a translation change because Jesus uses this term to store up in the last bit of verse 21. And elsewhere in scripture, that Greek word for store up gets translated a little differently. And I think it's a word that helps us understand this better. And other times this topic is talked about, this word is used instead of storing up. And so I want to, to do a little translation altering because this will help us. Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to hoard earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. See, what did the man do? He had plenty. He received even more. He hoarded it for himself and chose that his purpose in life would be his own self-satisfaction, his own self-enjoyment. Eat, drink, be merry, enjoy life to the fullest. See, what Jesus is saying here, he says, you're a fool if you want to hoard all for yourself, but you don't have a relationship with God. See, remember underneath this at the beginning, the warning he gave, he said, beware of every type of greed. So he's trying to drive a point home to us here, saying a person's a fool to hoard earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And here's what he's getting at. Hoarding is when we amass more for ourselves because of greed or a compulsion. Or sometimes it's because of fear. Or, or, uh, and, and we talked last week a lot about identity wounds and insecurities as we talked about trust and worthy. So I'm not going to go deep into that right now. But sometimes our desire to amass more for ourselves is because of greed, a compulsion. It's because of fear, anxiety, stress. But this is what hoarding really reveals. Hoarding reveals that our priorities are not in order. See, the ending line of that parable was that the man was a fool, not because he had earthly wealth, but because he hoarded earthly wealth to himself and did not have the relationship with God. See, there's a priority problem in that parable. That's what Jesus is driving at. What is your priority? What is your purpose? What is your reason behind what you are gathering for yourself? That's what Jesus is driving to in this. And you might be looking at this saying, well, wait a second, you know, I have savings accounts. I have investments. You know, even I, like I have, you know, Nikki and I have retirement plans that we pay into. Isn't saving the same thing as hoarding? Well, it's actually not. Hoarding and saving aren't the same. Hoarding is driven by greed. Saving isn't driven by greed. Saving happens when our priorities are shaped by a relationship with God and we have both a purpose and a plan for what we're saving. So what it means is, is saving is when we have our priorities in line, when we focus on what Jesus talked about there. We said you're a fool to hoard up and not have a relationship with God. And so as, you know, and and I'm speaking specifically to people who are following Christ. If you're here, you're just checking this things out. I'm not trying to tell you how to, how to manage your money. I'm saying, this is what Jesus is calling us to. What do we want to do about it? 
But for those of us who have a relationship with God that want to pattern our lives after Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this. When we're saving money, what's our priority? Is our priority first in our lives about having a relationship with God that's deeper, or is our priority in life only about amassing wealth? Because we can save if our priorities are in the right order. And in fact, this is where I'm going to take us to another parable that Jesus taught. A uh, parable that's, that's fairly well known, maybe you've heard it before, called the parable of the three servants. And how it goes is this, this one happens later on in Jesus' ministry. And he gets asked this question and he responds with a story, as he usually does. And he says that there was a master who had three servants. And these, the master planned to go on a long trip. And so he gathered his three servants together and he gave them each some money. The first servant, he gave him five bags of silver. The second servant, he gave him two bags of silver. And the third servant, he gave him one bag of silver. And he said, okay, see you later. I'll be back. Doesn't give them an end date. Doesn't give them a time frame of when he'll return. And so the master leaves on his journey. And some great length of time later, he comes back. And he calls these three servants to say, so what did you do? And so the servant that had the five bags of silver comes to the master and says, look, I saved it, I invested it, I multiplied it. Here's 10 bags of silver, the five you gave me and the five that I saved and grew and earned. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. He praises the the servant, says, thank you, you've done well. Then he goes to the second servant, the one that had been given two bags of silver. And he says, okay, what'd you do? And the man with two bags of silver says, here's the two bags you gave me. Here's two bags more. I took it. I saved it. I invested it. I doubled your return. Here you go. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he comes to the third guy. And you know that the first two have had a pattern. Something's different with the third guy. The third guy says, here's your bag of silver. I know that you expect a lot of us. I know that you have entrusted me with this responsibility and you want me to do something with it. So here's what I did. I hid it and I buried it so that I wouldn't lose anything. So here's your bag of silver back. Net gain, zero. What does the master say to the guy that hid and hoarded and squirreled it away out of fear? He says, you fool. Shouldn't you have at least deposited it in the bank so I could have collected interest on it? Couldn't you have at least done something? See, Jesus told this parable to make a point. And this is the point that he makes. Matthew 25, verse 29. This is how Jesus summarizes it. He says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Because what happened to that one bag of silver is the master took it and gave it to the first servant, the one who had started with five and gained to ten. Now he's got eleven to manage. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. See, this is what Jesus is driving to in this. Saving isn't a bad thing. Investment is not a bad thing. But what's the purpose? What's the heart behind it? See, the first two servants had a heart of wanting to serve their master, of wanting to do what was good and what was right. The third servant had a heart that was driven by greed and fear. And he couldn't bear the thought of, of losing anything, so he hid it and squirreled it away. He hoarded it away. He didn't have his priorities in order. So 
how do we get our priorities in order when we talk about something like this and what we manage and we talk about how do we get rid of selfishness, how do we get rid of greed? We go back to Luke 12.21 where Jesus says, fool to hoard up earthly riches and not have a rich relationship with God. So we've got to start, where's our heart at? How's our relationship with God doing? Are we actually focused on growing closer to God, on trying to be more like Him? Are we trying to move deeper in our walk with God? Because that's the first priority. That's got to underline everything. And here's the second piece. We need to ruthlessly eliminate greed from your life. And when I, mean, when I say ruthlessly, that's what I mean. The moment you start feeling envious about something, stop yourself. The moment you look at, you know, okay, I like walking through Home Depot. I know some people don't like Home Depot and like there's this like panic fear of like home renos. I like Home Depot. It's like, it's just infinite possibility. You like walk in there, it's just like, I could build anything with what's in here. Like, you know, if I could just like, if someone gave me a whole Home Depot and just said, okay, I'm going to close the doors, just take whatever you want, build whatever you want. Like, I would love that. Okay, and, and this is my little guilty pleasure. I really like the power tool aisle, tool aisle. Okay, and I know this is kind of like typical guy thing. I like the power tool aisle. You know, Milwaukee, they're good tools. You know, you can do anything with them. And I always walk down there and, and I, I, have, I have a decent DeWalt driver, an impact driver set, and I've got a little Makita mini driver that works really well too. But I always go by and I always like, I wonder if, I wonder if that Milwaukee's going to be on sale this time. You know, I wonder. You know, I'm not, not touching Ryobi. I'm not, not, you know, Bosch, they're pretty decent. You know, but like... I, I, Okay, guys, you can nod your heads to this one. You do the same, right? You know? And every time I do that, there's this little piece in the back of my head that says, you don't need that. Your DeWalt's good enough. Your DeWalt's plenty powerful enough. You haven't done a project that that DeWalt failed you on yet. I'm not getting paid by DeWalt, by the way. It's just, it's just what I have. Because I got it on a really good sale when I bought it. Okay, anyways... <laughs> But there's this point of saying, like, when I walk through that power tool aisle, I still do it. And maybe I probably shouldn't. And, you know, you can call me on this if you spot me in Home Depot and be like, so did you walk through the power tool aisle yet? Huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but do we ruthlessly eliminate that desire for more? Because what's the purpose of having a Milwaukee instead of a DeWalt? Nothing. They both do the same function. So here's what we got to do. Whenever you have that moment of envy, whenever you have that moment of, I need more from me, stop yourself. Why? In fact, go back to the first message of this series. Because sometimes we want it because we feel entitled to it. We say, you know, I got a big project coming up. You know, that DeWalt's not going to hell. I need the Milwaukee. Or, or replace it for whatever it is. Whenever we come to that moment, stop yourself. Ask why. The question why reveals a whole lot about our hearts. When I walk through that thing and I pick up that drill and I, I, I want, okay, I'll get off the drill thing. But when I do that, I got to say, why? Why am I doing this? Because I like to. It's fun to, to dream for a moment. You know, it's the same reason why, you know, like I'm quite against the practice of buying lottery tickets. I think it's a foolish way to try and plan for the future. And in fact, there's been studies coming out that there are large portions of our population where their retirement plan is to win the lottery. It's like, that's, that's not a good plan. That's not a solid plan. And I've talked to someone who said, well, you know, why do you buy a lottery ticket? And he says, well, it's, it's daydreaming. 
They say, you know, I spend five bucks, I stick that ticket in my pocket, and for a week I just dream, what if, what if, what if? What would I do? You know, how satisfying would that I quit be to my boss? Kind of thing. Like, and (laughs) there's the question that I ask in my mind is like, well, why? Because all that does is breed contempt for where you are now. All that does is encourage you to hate your boss instead of figuring out how to get along with them. All it does is, is make you think that you can just push away your problems. See, living in a fantasy world, yeah, it's not reality. It doesn't help our priorities. It doesn't help us move forward. So there's a third point I want to come to. So our first one, we've got to grow a rich relationship with God. If we want to eliminate greed, you've got to start with a deeper relationship with God. You've got to ruthlessly eliminate it. Every time it comes up, ask why, push it away. And now I want to come to a verse that, that Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount, during early on in his ministry, and he, he said this one that we've all heard before probably, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. I like this translation because it points out that piece. We cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So what do we do? How do we set our priorities? How do we actually get rid of greed? See, here's what you can do. You can't serve both God and be enslaved to money, but you can serve God with your money. You can choose to use what you have to serve a deeper purpose of your relationship with God. You can use what you have to make a difference in our world. See, the way we spend money reflects where our heart is at in a way that's, that's more realistic than almost anything else. And it's a scary thought to say, you know, sometimes do you ever go through your bank account and say, if someone looked at this statement, what would they know about me? Well, he really likes Starbucks, you know. <laughs> I'll put that one out there. So this was an issue the church had to deal with. Early on, the church had to deal with. And I wanna, we're going to end with one last Bible story. And this one comes from after Jesus' ministry. This comes from Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. And Paul had an interesting relationship with the Corinthian churches where he had to actually write them several letters to correct them and shape them. But he also, oftentimes we, we look at these Corinthian letters, we say, you know, Paul was just hard on them. Like they really must have messed up a lot and Paul was hard on them. But that doesn't tell the whole story because Paul was deeply grateful for the Corinthian churches. And I'm going to end by reading us uh, a portion of, of 2 Corinthians 8. This is near kind of the midway, or sorry, near the end of the second letter that he sent to them. And Paul wrote this. He said, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, for which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. These churches of Macedonia, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now here's where we've got to pause and I've got to give some background. Because this is written about 54 to 56 AD. So Jesus was crucified, resurrected around AD 30 to AD 32. So this is about 20 years later. And at first, the church was, when it was small and fledgling and just starting, and these people were coming to faith in Jesus, they were viewed as kind of this like sub-branch of Judaism. 
And so Christians were allowed to be part of the Jewish synagogues, even though they were saying, hey, you know that Messiah that all of our Old Testament promised and talked about and what we're going to talk about next month with Christmas coming? You know that Messiah? That was Jesus. And so the Christians were allowed to kind of be under this umbrella of Judaism for the first while. But then things started to change. Then things started to change, and the Jewish leaders started to get frustrated with these Christians who would not let up on the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah. That every time the the Jewish rabbis would talk about, you know, someday God's going to send a Messiah, the Christians were going, hey, guess what? He already did. His name was Jesus. You know, he was here like 20 years ago, a little less than that even. You saw him. So that's what was happening. And eventually what happened was the Christians got kicked out of the synagogues. And the Jewish leaders said, enough of you, you're not welcome here. And when they got kicked out of the synagogues, they were being excommunicated out of their families. They were losing their jobs. You know, if you're, if you're worked in a, in a Jewish portion of Jerusalem and you, your business served Jewish people and you got kicked out of the synagogue, they would not frequent your business anymore. And so the Christians in Jerusalem almost overnight became extremely poor and were doing everything they could to try and find jobs, to make an income, to just survive. But the church in Jerusalem was the group that sent the first missionaries out to other places, to places like Macedonia, to places like Corinth. And so these Macedonian churches and the church of Corinth, they all took it upon themselves and said, you know, we owe a spiritual debt to the church of Jerusalem because they gave us the gospel. They gave us the message of Christ. And so they started taking collections and they would send them back to Jerusalem to say, we want to help our Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem because they needed help. And this is what Paul is commending the Corinthian church for. He starts by reminding them of Corinth. And then he says this, we're going to jump ahead to verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of these other churches. You know, there's a little bit of a competitive nature. Hey, you know, those churches that had nothing, they gave money. You guys could do the same. Paul's kind of, you know, taunting them a little bit. I like when Paul's snarkiness comes out. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. We know that Jesus gave up everything to be the sacrifice so that we could come into that rich relationship with Jesus. And Paul's saying, remember what Jesus did for you. Then he says this, verse 10, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give to what you have not what you don't have. Paul is adamant here of saying that don't give in a way that puts you in their position. Don't give in a way that pushes you into poverty. But whatever you give is, is, is uh, acceptable if you give it eagerly. This is the command that Paul gives to the Corinthian church. He's saying, you guys started this. You guys set the example. Now the other churches are, are exceeding you. But guess what? You can finish what you started. And so when we talk about how do we get our priorities in order, there's three of them. 
How do we get our priorities ordered? How do we eliminate, eliminate greed? We've got to first, we've got to grow that rich relationship with God. Paul's whole message to the Corinthian church was based on saying, you already have this relationship with God. If you're, if you're sitting on the fence, you're saying, I don't know if I believe in this Jesus thing or not. You're off the hook. I'm not asking you for anything. But what I am saying is that living generously is more important than living with greed. And that's a human issue, whether or not you believe in Jesus. That's a human issue to deal with. So grow a rich relationship with God. Ruthlessly eliminate greed from your life. That's a human issue. And replace greed with generosity. See, the way our hearts are, the way our minds are, greed and generosity do not coexist in our minds. Only one will win. That's why we use this image of the car with two steering wheels. Only one will win. Whoever the, you know, if you, okay, if your car had two steering wheels and you're going somewhere with your spouse and you each have the steering wheel, who actually wins? <laughs> I didn't want you to stick your hand up on that rod, but that's really funny. But yeah, who's ever stronger is going to wrestle the wheel, right? We all know that. If we feed our greed, our greed becomes stronger. If we feed our generosity, our generosity becomes stronger. That's a simple fact, whether or not you believe in God at all. So I want to ask you to put this in action. And I'm going to give you two things that I want to share with you. The first is something I've already talked about today. There's no, it wasn't a mistake or just coincidence that our Budget Breakers workshop is this Tuesday. Because what Paul commanded the Corinthian church to do was to give according to what you're able to. And some of us want to be generous. But we don't feel like we can because we're not managing our own finances. Some of us, you know, at the end of the month, you look at your bank account, and you're like, oh, where did it all go? So this Budget Breakers Workshop, we've planned it to be here at this season, coming up on Christmas for a reason, because every one of us needs help. Most of us learn how to manage our money by trial and error, and if I had more time, I'd go through some of my financial mistakes and let you know that learning by trial and error is not good. Um, we all know that. So we want to help you with that. So if you're feeling like you don't know how to give because you don't know how to manage your funds, get a free ticket. Come on Tuesday. Take a first step. It's not going to teach you everything you need to know in one night, but it's going to give you a first step to take towards getting in control of your finances. And the second is something that, that our guest services team are going to start handing out to you now. And it's this. It's called the Faith and Hope in Action Catalog. Our church... Even though we don't have alliance in our name, we are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We're a denomination of about 400 churches across Canada. And what I love about our family of churches, what I love about the alliance, is that we are a denomination with a reputation in the world. And our reputation is that we send people to the places that other denominations say, no, that's too hard. We're not going to send people to those countries. And then the little old alliance goes, hey, we'll send people there. And so what this is, this Faith and Hope in Action, it's a catalog. And as you flip through, there are stories of what our Alliance people are doing around the world. And it's kind of grouped by geographical region. And something you'll notice as you flip through, there's a section that's orange and a section that's pink. And most of those don't have countries attached to them. And that's because those are the people that are working in countries where if the government knew what they were really doing there, they would get at the best kicked out and deported back to Canada. At worst, we've had international workers imprisoned, and we've actually had international workers killed on the field for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of helping people, of sharing the message of Christ. So I want to encourage you to take this home, 
and go through it this week. Read some of the stories. Look at some of the pieces of saying, how are ways that we can partner with what our international workers are doing around the world? And as you go through, there's, there's little pieces and there's, you know, I just flipped this one, Beautiful Gate. And they have this piece called Care and Compassion. Donations will provide food and lodging to villagers coming into the city for medical care, pastoral care, encouragement, and follow-up support in rural villages. And as a suggested donation amount. If that's something you want to give to, there's two ways to do it. If you open just the very front cover, you'll see it says, you know, two ways to give. You can go online, and there's a website link, and you can do it online with your credit card or PayPal. Or there's an order form in the very center of the book. There's this kind of, these blue pages. You can tear that out, fill out the back, and mail it in. And, you know, maybe you're, you look at this and you're like, ah, you know, maybe there's an organization you're already partnered with. Maybe, there's some, maybe it's like Youth for Christ U-Turn or Compassion or World Vision or Manitoba Pioneer Camp or, or any of those pieces. But here's the question. Where are you going to start putting generosity in practice in your life? And this is a really great way of doing it. And that's why we're giving you these and we want you to hang on to them. Um, take it with you. We'll have extra ones here at the church over the next few weeks. If you want two, take two. Because this is a way of saying that we want to have our generosity replace our greed. And there's one last piece, and then we're closing. If we aren't putting our generosity behind the mission of Jesus, then who will? Because when you look through this catalog, if for some reason we had to recall all of our international workers around the globe, the governments of those countries could not fill the gaps that we would leave. The governments of those countries wouldn't be able to step in and provide the basic necessities in ways that our alliance workers are doing throughout the world. And even more for us as a local church, if we are not putting our generosity behind the mission of Jesus, who are we expecting to? Because here's what happened. When Jesus rose from the grave, he gave a commission to the church. It was the marching orders for the church. Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey my commands and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then about 40-ish days later, God sends the Holy Spirit to empower his church to do this work. God has already given us everything we need to make a difference in our city, in our community, in our world, in our families. But it's up to us to choose to be part of that mission. So let me pray for us. And we're going to leave, you, leave it on that thought. Holy Spirit, we know that you are with us and you are within us and that you guide and you lead us. And one of the pieces that you guide and call us to is that we receive the generosity of your love and the way that you paved a relationship with God open for us that you want us to be generous. And so, Lord, I pray that you would release in each one of us individually, that you would release in us a spirit of generosity, that we would do battle with greed and kill it away so that we can replace it with generosity, with your love, with putting our priorities in the right order. And so, Lord, every one of us has to do some soul searching on this. And I pray that you would encourage us to... (laughs) to dig into those things, even though they feel uncomfortable. I pray for our event on Tuesday that this would be an amazing first step for people of just learning to get a handle on their finances so that they can 
choose what their priorities are. They can choose what their plan is and what their purpose is and how we will use what you've given us for the sake of your mission and your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in this, that you would be gracious to us, that you would reveal to us the places we still have to grow in this ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Folks, we haven't been doing the, the conversation time during this series because the questions we're asking, frankly, are too personal for us to share as open. But if you want to stop by the Connect Center table, we've got a stack of, of uh, some reflection questions that you can discuss in your life groups this week. Or if you're on the version event, there's a link at the bottom. And we're also going to put those questions up in our Facebook group and on our Facebook page uh, a little later if you want to get those too. So folks, I hope you have an amazing week. I hope you dig into these questions and these thoughts. And again, next Sunday, we are launching into Advent. So for those of us that are love Christmas and looking forward to it, for those of you who don't like Christmas, our topic next Sunday is actually Bah Humbug. What do you do when you hate Christmas? <laughs> so I hope to see you here next Sunday. Have a great week, folks. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.